Welcome to Women Wanting Women, where we explore topics that matter to women like us. We talk about being a woman, attracting women, and becoming more powerful women by developing more self-confidence and always reaching for the next level in our self-actualization. I'm your hostess, lesbian love coach, Jordana Michelle. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then also check out my website, womenwantingwomen.com, because it's packed with resources that can help you, including my guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a report that explains the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of that is free at womenwantingwomen.com. But before we go any further, I have a question. Have you ever started dating a woman only to find out that she doesn't have a job or she can't pay her rent or that she doesn't have any real interest at all apart from the TV shows she watches and the one group of friends that she's always hung out with? One thing that all you listeners to this podcast have in common is that you're growth-oriented, creative, curious, and ambitious. And growth-oriented, ambitious women want to date other women who are growth-oriented and ambitious. Because women are really attracted to power and success and wealth and leadership and ambition. And that might sound a little superficial or maybe even politically incorrect, but the physical reality is that all females in nature are attracted to success and leadership and ambition. Because females of all species prefer to reproduce with a mate that has high status. Because we have an inner drive, even if we don't want to have kids, we have an instinctive inner drive to pass along the best possible genes to our offspring in order for the offspring to have better chances of survival. Then animals who achieve high status in nature achieve it by being stronger and savvier than the other animals in their community or tribe, which means they have stronger, savvier genes to pass along, which is what makes them more attractive to females. That's just how it works. And so if we want to be more attractive to the women we desire, and if we want to stay attractive in the eyes of the women we love, we have to be ambitious as a way of life. Because women think that ambition is hot. And that's why for this episode of Women Wanting Women, I interviewed Dory Clark, who's not only a badass power lesbian herself, but she's also a widely sought-after teacher of power and leadership and success who's lectured everywhere from Harvard Business School to the World Bank to Google headquarters. So this woman's insights about power and leadership and success are right on the money, and she knows what she's talking about. So I hope you listen closely and take good notes while you enjoy my interview with Dory Clark. Dory, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I'm so glad to be here. Thank you for having me, Jordana. Well, I'm just excited to have this conversation because so often when I talk to women who are single, one of the things that they say they want most is a woman who's successful. And that just made me excited to talk to you as a queer woman who teaches about success and teaches about leadership and teaches about standing out and teaches about personal branding in the most powerful companies and the most powerful institutions in the world. So who better to have this conversation with than you? Thank you. I appreciate it. 
So what do you think is the most important thing to, to know about success? If you were going, if you were a person going into the world, um, looking to improve your life, make more money, stand out more, be more a leader, you know, what are the things that you think are most important? Well, I think that there are a million tactical things that, that uh, you can do and that certainly we can get into. But I think the prerequisite for all of it is having having the mindset that is aligned to enable you to get there. Um, I, uh, I know from, uh, from my, my unfortunate many hours spent on Tinder that there are a lot of people, especially uh, sometimes queer women, where the first thing that they'll say in their profile, like they have, they have like 20 words to identify themselves and they'll use like anti-capitalist or they'll say, oh, I, uh, you know, down, down with the system. And I think, of course, there's a lot of things that are, that are wrong and worth fixing in the system, but it's very hard to be successful, uh, in terms of, in terms of business or in terms of standing out if you're leading with an oppositional mentality that uh, that essentially is is keeping at arm's length the thing that in another breath you may want. That's such a good point. And oftentimes, of course, the best way to make a system better is to know how to be successful inside of it and manipulate it for the better. So having an anti-mentality or just wanting to tear it all down may not even bring the res- it, it may be the least the, it may be the thing least likely to bring you the results that you want anyway but i love that you start with mindsets of course mindset would be the prerequisite for everything so what are the best mindsets for success that you recommend i think that a, a big part of it is um, a kind of a kind of scrappiness and a willingness to look for creative solutions. And one of the things that was really instrumental for me in terms of uh, kind of coming into my own as an entrepreneur was a number of years ago, one of the jobs that I had was I was the executive director of a bicycling advocacy nonprofit. So it's, you know, kind of, kind of a, a random uh, interlude in my career that I did this for a couple of years, but it was this tiny nonprofit. We had $150,000 in annual revenue and three staffers, which uh, shows you exactly how much capital we had to play with. Uh, I mean, it was just completely uh, this this shoestring operation. And in some ways it was, uh, it was challenging for me later as an entrepreneur because it, I really had to sort of uh, forcibly adjust my thinking in order to become comfortable uh, quoting higher fees and understanding what it sort of took to uh, to play at higher levels. You know, if you're dealing with larger projects or working with corporations or things like that. But one thing that was great about it was it it forces this kind of resiliency because you cannot spend your way out of a, a, a problem. You know, if you if you have this tiny organization and X amount of money, this limited amount of money, if there is something that is not working or something that needs to be done, you have to learn how to figure it out. And having the willingness to be able to do that, whether it's like, oh, the printer's broken, okay, I'm gonna go on YouTube and figure out how to how to do it. Or, you know, oh, I don't know how to, you know, do this skill. I, I need to learn how to do fundraising or I need to learn how to do grant writing. Or in the case of businesses, you know, maybe it's, uh, it's, you know, some, some particular aspect of, of what you're doing, but you read the book, you take the course, you do it yourself. And I think that, uh, for people who are willing to 
roll up their sleeves and grapple with it, that is extraordinarily powerful. I mean, entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial success, I think in a lot of ways, is just a willingness to dive in and understand that you're not going to start out knowing the answers, but that if you're a smart enough person, you can figure them out along the way. Like a radical resourcefulness. Yeah, that's it. Oh, that, you should write that book, Jordana. That sounds really good. Radical resourcefulness. It's a good yeah, title. Yeah, that. Dory approved. Nice. Well, then I know it's gold. Yeah, I love that. Uh, the scrappiness and the willingness to seek creative solutions and to not let little bumps get in the way, it, it, even when you can't buy your way out of a problem. Because, of course, when you're in a much bigger company, you could just hire a consultant to come in and 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 put a bandaid on it. But yeah, as a business owner, we, we do, we have to kind of learn how to do everything ourselves. Yeah, for sure. So what are some other important mindsets for success? Well, I think in, in terms of other uh, principles that I, that I think about, um, one of the things that is most powerful is understanding your, your value and being willing to get comfortable with, uh, with, with actually charging what you deserve. I mean, this is hard for a lot of people. Um, you know, many folks say perhaps especially for women, but I think back to when I was in college and I was dating this woman who was an art major and the, the kind of culmination uh, for her, her big senior project that, that everybody did if they were an art major was that they had this show at the end of the year where their work was displayed and the, the works for, were for sale. And I remember talking with her and she felt so guilty. She felt so just extraordinarily conflicted about, about putting a price tag on her work. I mean, certainly it, I think a part of it was like, it's weird to sell what you create, but, but even more to the point, she felt like it was somehow presumptuous to be asking, I mean, it wasn't even really that much in the scheme of things, like a couple hundred bucks for her paintings. And I remember thinking at the time, you know, if you feel conflicted about that, I mean, you know, think about the, the, the power of being able to take that money. It doesn't mean that you have to keep the money. It doesn't mean you have to hoard the money, but if you control the money, you can, you can do exactly what you want with it to affect the kind of change that you want with it. You know, and, and I think that there is extraordinary power, you know, part, part of what uh, I think gets turned around sometimes in a, in a common uh, lesbian narrative is that uh, there is justifiable discomfort with what many people who have capital do with that capital. But I think the answer is not to condemn capital. The answer is to get more of it for ourselves so that we can make better decisions about what causes it gets allocated to and how uh, societally we're, we're doing things. And so I think one of the most powerful things that we can do is really, you know, learn how to ask for, uh, for you know, for what we deserve to, to get uh, cognizant of market rates and to step into that and take ownership for it. Because the more we are, are in control of assets, it gives us more options and it gives us more ability to affect positive change. I love that. It's like the game wouldn't be bad if the good guys were winning. Yeah, exactly. It's not the game. It's just that some of the bad guys end up winning. And so we just got to learn to play the game better so that we, the good guys, can win. And then we can use those same resources and the power that comes from those resources to make good things happen. Amen, sister. I'm on it. <laughs> I love it.
because it is hard to, to understand our value. And it's one thing to say, understand your value as a command. But then what are the steps to that? I'm really lucky in some ways because I started out as an attorney and there's just a market, right? You just know how much it costs. When I was going to court, you know, when I was taking cases, I know what the hourly rate of, a, of another litigator is. And I know, and when I do, when I represent people buying and selling homes, I know how much the market value is for that work. So it, I didn't have to have that same kind of inner conflict, but I understand what you're saying because when I sell my courses or when I do coaching, I definitely face that, especially because when I'm coaching, I'm doing something that I love. And probably if you found me in a bar, I would have the same conversation with you for free. So, you know, what is your advice around that? Yeah. So there's a lot of, there's a lot of steps that you can take. I talk about this actually quite a bit in in my book, Entrepreneurial You. And I think that one crucial one is actually developing other friends in your industry or in your desired industry. Because the truth is uh, people lose when there is not access to financial transparency. I mean, you know, if we, if we think about salary negotiations, like even for folks who are working in corporations, employees are at a disadvantage because the company knows how much everybody, you know, is paid, but you have generally no idea uh, about, you know, what anyone besides you gets for it. So there's kind of this, this black box and inequality of information, which makes it more likely that they can, um, you know, make an offer that takes advantage of you. However, uh, if you have access to more information, if for some reason, and there's been a, a push toward this uh, in terms of the public discourse, if you know what your coworkers are making, you have the ability to say, wait a minute, you know, I have more experience. Why is he being paid more than me or, or whatever the case may be? And so similarly, especially if you're an entrepreneur or if you're pursuing a side hustle or something like that, it, it feels like a black box in a lot of ways. Like it can be really tough because like for something like coaching, the rates are anywhere from like, you know, 15 bucks an hour to like a thousand dollars an hour or way more. Yeah. Just like massive swings of like, Oh my God, I have literally no idea where to position myself on this. And so one of the most powerful things that we can do is align ourselves with other people who are willing and able to give us honest information. Um, it's super interesting research has been done recently by a guy named Brian Uzi, who is a management professor at the Kellogg School at Northwestern. And he talked about, uh, this was just a couple months ago in the Harvard Business Review, he talked about the differences in what women need in, in their networks in order to be successful as compared to men. And it turns out that like men, uh, women need to have, you know, this kind of diverse network, lots of different ties in different places. That makes sense. But he said that also women actually need something else as well, much more than men do. And that is access to a tight knit group of female colleagues specifically. Um, And he hypothesized that part of that is helping women, helping each other learn how to, you know, whatever pitfalls might be out there for women in a particular industry, they can help each other with that. But, you know, frankly, I have experienced so much just learning from from close friends uh, about uh, about pricing and about different strategies and things like that. And these are the kinds of conversations that don't usually get talked about publicly. You often can't read them in a book because they're very personalized and bespoke. And people are not usually going to talk about it in a speech or a podcast or something like that. You want behind the curtains. 
And so taking the time to develop uh, a group of, of friends and colleagues, you know, kind of a, you know, a formal or informal mastermind for yourself is one of the best things that you can do to really empower yourself and give you the financial information that you need to feel comfortable stepping up and asking. I think you're right. You're, you're right on the money in terms of really the mastermind being a, an amazing source of information and of just normalizing the kind of behavior that you want to step into. My favorite teacher, Eben Pagan, always says that we become the five people that we spend the most time with. So if you want to achieve more success, you just go find five people that are more successful in that realm than you, and you just start to spend all your time with them, and then just literally by being around them and the, the behaviors that become normalized. Um, but it also, of course, is the conversations that they have and the information and all that behind-the-curtains knowledge that you wouldn't otherwise find in books or, or publish online. But I'm curious, when you talked about this, these women needing this access to a tight-knit group of female colleagues, it has to be all female? It's not just access to a tight-knit group of colleagues? Like, it has to be a tight-knit group of women together as, like, a little clique almost? Well, again, according to, to Brian Uzi's uh, recommendations, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure it does not hurt uh, to have uh, a tight-knit group of, of co-ed colleagues or male colleagues, uh, but... He was, uh, his research indicated that specifically it is, um, it is having other female friends that you have a deep relationship with that was important, perhaps because there are enough differences in terms of how men and women have to navigate the professional sphere that it is useful to have someone who can, you know, kind of provide specific tips about that rather than general tips about, uh, you know, how a man might navigate a similar situation. I agree because women, when we talk to each other, there's a lot, and I'm not going to generalize, but I know, I mean, I'm going to say, because most of my best friends in life are dudes, but I don't love to talk to them in the same way that I can talk to my female friends, because when we talk about things, we can talk about how we feel about it, our emotional reaction, um, the interpersonal nature of things, whereas my guy mentors are just sometimes maybe it's just the guys that I choose. They're not as sensitive to me about those things. And so if I really want to get into how I feel about people, I have to talk to my female friends about it more. But I'm curious, it's really interesting that he says a tight knit group, because I do in my, I have so many other coach friends who are coaches or who are building online businesses or who do, or who have podcasts or do the sorts of things I do. And, but we talk a lot really deeply one-on-one. We'll talk for like an hour at a time, just one-on-one. But I'm, I'm wondering if these tight knit groups of female colleagues even exist. I don't even know of any, um, is that well, you how, can you can you can make one. It can make one totally. I, I have a mastermind, but we're co-ed. It's or it's really mostly dudes. Um, all right, that's a good idea. Yeah, that's that's your homework. <laughs> you didn't think you'd leave this this podcast with homework, but <laughs> well, maybe I hoped I would. This is great. Ah. All right, so an all girl one. So I all right, my guy friends won't be invited. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I can handle it. Um, all right. So great. So that's the first step, developing other uh, friends in the industry you want to be in. That's the first step for understanding your value. What else? Because I think that is a, a big, important mindset of success is understanding our value. Are there other little tips on that? Yeah, sure. Well, one which which I've certainly found uh, useful and empowering is actually getting a sense of um, of what people are paying for other things. And here's what I mean by that. Um, I was with a colleague, um, gosh, this is probably about a year ago, and she had a business where she was actually talking to me about how she felt 
you know, kind of weird charging and, you know, it felt, uh, it felt like, you know, difficult for her to, to think about raising her rates, even though she was really over delivering. She had, uh, she had a service business where she would come to people's homes and, you know, it was, it was like very white glove service that she was providing. And she was charged for, for coming to people's homes. In fact, she was charging the same price as other people who made you come to their offices. So I was like, oh my God, you can totally raise your fees. But she said that what hammered it home for her was that she was in a client's house one time and they some for some reason she was carrying something I don't remember but she needed like a box and the client was like oh I think I have an extra box you can you know you can just have this so the client gave her uh this box to take home to carry her stuff was it and a Cartier box what was it so yes it was it was some some brand or whatever and the, the receipt was still left in the box and my friend realized that they had spent like $5,000 on like napkins, like, like like vases, like crystal wear or something like that. She realized, Oh my God, you know, which, what she, the service that she's providing it's for the, you know, the kids. Uh, and you know, it's, it's like this sort of investment in the kid's future. And meanwhile, they're spending $5,000 on vases and it made her realize, Oh my God. Yes. I, in a very visceral sense, I am undercharging. And so similarly, like if you're a conference speaker, literally think about how much they're spending on the coffee break. Think about how much they're spending on the lunch. I mean, at a hotel, it's ludicrous, but at a hotel, they will charge you like $40 a person for some shitty lunch, you know? And, and if you have, you know, hundreds of people there, don't feel bad asking for, you know, for X amount for your speech, because what, in the end is more important. Is it, is it having, you know, the extra canapé or is it having an amazing speaker that is going to change people's lives? I think that is something that can help snap it into focus. I think that's great. Uh, it makes a lot of sense just putting things in perspective like that. So then um, what are some other success mindsets now that we're, I feel like that's good on, on understanding our value, which is so important. What are some other big success mindsets that people could take home? Yeah, definitely. So one thing that I talk about a lot in my work, especially my book, Entrepreneurial You, is the importance of cultivating multiple streams of income. Uh, And this is something that I feel like is not necessarily appreciated as much as it should be. Uh, You know, we all know, like anybody who studied, like, like, if you know one thing about investing, you know, like, okay, don't put all your money in one stock, right? People are pretty clear on that, that you need to diversify your investments. But ironically, the way we earn money, the way that it, it comes in for many people is not diversified at all. They have one job, they have one, you know, essentially one client, their employer. And, you know, we were, we were talking about this before, uh, I got laid off from my, my very first job actually as a newspaper reporter, uh, right before nine 11. And I suddenly realized, Oh no, you know, this sort of safe job, quote unquote, all of a sudden I've gone from making a living to having $0 and zero coming in. And it, it was extraordinarily abrupt. Um, but so if you are able to create multiple income streams in your business, it's a way of hedging against the downside. Uh, as well as as offering the possibility for you know perhaps earning ex- interesting extra income that could that could take off. But there's ways that regular people can do this. You know whether it's doing coaching on the side, doing some consulting, writing an ebook. Right. Even if you work for a, a a company, even if you're not an entrepreneur, there are ways to look at your own life 
yeah, talk more about this. And I think not only is, I think this is also so important and what you're talking about right now is really important to me as a dating coach, because not only, it, you know, bringing it back to meeting people, right? Because multiple streams of income would also force you to have multiple streams of new people in your life. Right. Absolutely. And connecting with like more opportunity just to branch out in so many ways. So let's really dig into this. Even if you have a job, what are some things that you can be thinking about in your own life to create these multiple streams of income and other humans that you might meet? Yes. Multiple streams of humans. I like it. (laughs) Yeah. So, so I think that one of one of the easiest and 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 best uh, ways to start is to think about coaching or consulting because there's there's no startup capital required. You know, literally anybody anybody can do it. Uh, it's not like you have to buy a franchise or pay to to do something. You don't even need a website. You don't even need a business card. I mean, initially you can get started through referrals. And so I often advise people to kind of take an inventory of what their skills are. And it could be something related to your to your job potentially. Um, although you know you need to be careful that you're not doing something that would that your bosses would consider to be uh, competitive with your company. But you know it could be related to those skills, or it could be totally different. I mean, you know, if you have uh, an ability to, you know, oh, everybody's. It's like asking yourself, what are people already coming to me for? You know, if everybody comes to you for dating advice, well, maybe being a dating coach is a good idea. If everybody, uh, if you're the the friend that has like amazing style sense, uh, you know, maybe it's, uh, it's doing some consulting around, around wardrobe or fashion. Maybe if you're a great photographer, you could start taking wedding photos or, uh, or event photos or, or food photos, who knows on the side. I have a, a friend that, um, that is a great photographer and he has a cool uh, way of doing things where he will often barter with restaurants, which, you know, I mean, the restaurants don't have a lot of uh, cash, but they certainly have a lot of food. And uh, he will barter with them uh, where he'll take gorgeous photos of, of their food and their drink and their staff and whatever for their website. And in return, he'll get restaurant credits. And so he's able to kind of live the high life uh, because he's, uh, you know, he's always able to take his friends out and, and, you know, hang out at these cool places and get free food. Um, so th- there's there's a lot of different possibilities that you can do. But that's, that's often a good go-to. Another great one that I talk about uh, in my book is... Uh, is like eBooks. There's a guy named Pat Flynn who now is a kind of successful podcaster. He has this show called Smart Passive Income. But where he got his start was he was uh, he worked at an architecture firm and he was trying to pass the LEED certification, which you know some of your listeners will know. It's like a green building certification. It's a kind of complicated test. And so while he was studying for it, he created a website to basically just kind of type up his study notes for himself. And he figured he would do it publicly as a way of helping other people. Um, So he did that for a while. And his site managed to get quite a bit of traction on Google. And so eventually he said, you know, I wonder if there's people that instead of like reading it on the website, maybe they'd like it as a book. And so he literally just took his notes, like made it a PDF, put it up for sale on his website. And because he had accrued so much traction on Google. So, you know, his search engine optimization was so good because of having built it up over time. He was able in his first month of running it to get over $7,000 in sales, which was more money than he made at the architecture firm. And it turned out to be very handy because the next month after that, he got laid off from the architecture firm. So he's been working online since then. But an ebook like that, even a simple PDF ebook, could be a great route for some people if you have an area of expertise. I love it. These are such great ideas. 
multiple streams of income, which also, of course, would lead to meeting so many other great people. Uh, do you have any other, um, like in just in terms of meeting more people since we're on that subject? Um, you're a great networker, I know. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. Well, in, I can certainly tell you about some of the strategies that, that I've used. Um, I moved to New York from Boston about five years ago. And when I moved, I kind of had this this horrifying realization, which was I I just I I got here and then I found myself for like three weeks in a row. I was at home by myself every single night. And and after a while, it's like, oh wait, there are no invitations coming because I don't I don't really know anyone here and nobody knows I'm here. Like this this I, this is a problem. I have to change this somehow. But I think New York is one of those towns, and maybe every town is like this. But I'm a New Yorker and I have friends all over. But I still think you know, as we get a dose, you have to call people and then put plans in the calendar, right? I mean, otherwise, yes. Yeah. So that, that is that is what I what I ultimately decided to do. I, I realized, uh, you know, things were not going to magically happen. So I decided I would need, you know, my, my mother always used to say when I was young, she'd say, well, if you want to, if you want to get an invitation, you need to give an invitation. And so I said, all right, mama, I'm going to do that. So I started uh, organizing these dinner gatherings. And so, you know, on average, uh, it sort of waxes and wanes based on my travel schedule, but I would say on average about once a month for the past five years. So we're now up, you know, 60 plus, I have organized uh, dinner gatherings. In fact, I have one tonight that I'm doing and uh, I'll bring together between eight and 10 uh, people, uh, just different, different folks. Sometimes I'll do it thematically. Um, so I often early on would do a, a, an author dinner or an entrepreneur's dinner, or I've done one for jazz musicians. I've done one for women journalists, you know, and, uh, and sometimes it's just a random mix of, of interesting people to cross pollinate, but I'll invite people to this. And, uh, and it's great because it's a way to get to spend time with interesting people. I enjoy it. They meet each other. You kind of, you know, quote unquote, get credit for bringing them together and some certain percentage of those people uh, will, you know, you'll hit it off and you'll become friends and they might invite you to something or you, you might actually become like, you know, some people you invite once and you never see them again, but some people become like legit friends, uh, which is, which is quite beautiful. Uh, so, so that's been really a driver for me in terms of connecting with folks. Yeah. There's nothing better than creating dinner parties. I absolutely love it. And it's a great excuse to, like you said, to get, to really spend time with someone that otherwise there might not have been an excuse to hang out with like that. It's one thing to say, hey, do you want to hang out with me? And it's another thing to say, hey, I'm bringing together these eight to 10 group of awesome, these eight to 10 awesome people that you might really want to know. And there's sort of uh, more leverage there. I, I think this is incredible advice. And it works. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like you you do it plenty as well, right? Yeah, it's, I'm a, I love networking and connecting people, and it's one of my favorite things in life. But I don't want to miss, you mentioned jazz music, and I, I know that you are a musician. What is it that you play, and what is it, just quick side note on that. Yeah, so I uh, I'm I'm not I'm not much at uh, at playing anything per se, but I uh, I, w I was actually through through networking through through connections uh, I managed to get involved as a producer on a jazz album that went on to win two Grammys. Uh, so that was that was awfully exciting. I get to go wow. out to Los Angeles for the Grammys and be on stage to help accept the Grammy. So that was uh, that was pretty awesome. Uh, and then also, uh, in addition to jazz music, I, uh, in the past few years have really put some emphasis on musical theater 
And uh, part of that is investing in Broadway shows. And part of it is that I have uh, joined and I'm now part of a program uh, called the BMI Layman Angle Musical Theater Workshop, which is it's run by the music publishing company BMI. And it's actually considered one of the premier uh, worldwide training grounds for musical theater writers. So I'm training now to uh, to be a lyricist. And that's awesome. So you write you, you do you write the music or just the lyrics? You're saying as a lyricist? Just just the lyrics. Yeah, I have a composing partner. Oh, that's fantastic! Very cool. Thanks. Again, multiple multiple streams of 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 cool things to do in life, right? Which is so since we're under the topic of multiple streams, I think this is more than just a side hustle. It sounds like just can can we speak to that? Just having because this also is important to dating, to meeting women. Women are really attracted to to people who do interesting things in the world and who have stuff to talk about and who are just more awesome. So Amen to that. Yeah. Do you do you find that the people who you know are most successful have really cool other interests? I think uh, it's it's an interesting question. I, I think that um, a lot hinges on your definition or who, you know, whomever the, uh, the person asking the question, uh, would have of success. Touche. Yeah. For, for me, I've certainly gone through phases where, um, in fact, you know, there's sort of a, a direct line. I, in 2015, that was when my second book standout came out. And as a result, I, I really wanted to push it hard. So that year I gave 74 talks. Um, so it's an average of about you know, one and a half talks per week, uh, traveling around the country, around the world, doing it. So I, I did 160 podcast interviews that year to promote the book. So it was just this madcap pace. It was, uh, so on, on one hand, uh, I was quite successful in terms of ubiquity, <laughs> you could say, just like racing around and, and talking and speaking and doing these, these things. On the other, I was not in New York very often. And so dating was really hard because I was hardly ever in town. Like if you wanted to make a date with someone, it's like, well, you know, I'm in Vancouver from Thursday through Tuesday, and then I'm uh, going to Albuquerque. And, you know, it was, it was nuts. Uh, and so I decided the following year in 2016, I literally made it my new year's resolution that to compensate for this, because I was like, Oh my God, I'm never in this fucking city. I decided that I would uh, make it my mission that I would do one quote unquote, uniquely New York activity per week. That was, that was my mantra to myself. So uh, whenever, you know, it was a variation of things. I mean, it was like one week it would be seeing a Broadway show and another week it would be going to a certain museum or another week it would be like, I'm going to go, I'm going to go to, you know, wherever the fuck Brooklyn and go get this slice of pizza that everybody talks about, you know, and uh, just do the thing. Uh, but, but I made it a point to do that. And so it was a conscious decision to try to be more interesting because I realized at the end of 2015, I was at that point, I was successful, you could say, and I was wicked interesting to people that were interested in my job, you know, to people that were interested in my profession or, you know, if they liked the same things as I liked. But if, if I met somebody that did not know about the things that I did, I would have been the most boring person in the world because I was very unidimensional at that time. So I had to really make a conscious effort to kind of pull back from that and, uh, and realize that I needed to reallocate some of my efforts elsewhere. Not just necessarily success in one, in one avenue. So yeah, it's a good point that when we say successful, it really isn't just about I don't know, however one might measure it in terms of power or money. 
um, there's obviously, you make, you make a really good point. There's a lot of different ways of defining it. Yeah, totally. Another important thing, getting back to attraction, that is really important is the ability to, to stand out. And well, in, and you talk about in business, the importance of standing out in personal branding. But I do think that a lot of the lessons you teach there could probably be brought back and applicable to dating as well. So are there any things that stand out that might be good to talk about standing out in terms of lessons for standing out in personal branding? Yeah, definitely. I mean, in terms of, in terms of, um, business, of course, there's, there's obvious reasons why it's important to, uh, to stand out and and be recognized. I mean, first of all, if you, you know, there's a lot of competition. And so if you want to be the one that gets promoted, if you want to be the one that gets the raise, if you want to be the one that is thought of for various opportunities, half the battle, honestly, is just, is just being thought of in general. Um, they're, people are so busy. They're rushing around, they're going to meetings, they're answering emails. They're not expending a lot of cognitive energy to, to really, you know, scan the horizon. And so there's a lot to be said for just the person where it's like, oh, right, you know, her, you know, and, and, and you're memorable for some reason. And, uh, and, you know, presumably if it's a good reason, uh, then you are ready to mind and you're the person that when somebody says, oh, hey, I need a coach, who should I talk to? Well, you know what? A lot of people know like five coaches, but so which one are they going to recommend? You know, it's, it's, it's the one that's, that's most memorable. So there's a lot of reasons why it matters professionally in terms of your success. Um, but personally, it's, it's kind of a, a perfect analog in many ways because, you know, you think about um, who who gets introduced, or uh, you know who uh, who gets invited to the party that uh, you know where where people are connecting and meeting, or you know if you when someone is will you know when someone is wanting to make some kind of a romantic introduction or be thinking of you or something, there is a lot of social capital that that person has that is on the line in that moment, right? Like if I, if I'm trying to fix you up with someone, Jordana, and I introduce you to someone that is like an idiot, you know, someone that you look at and you're like, Oh my God, what does Dory think of me that she would think that this person would be good for me? Like, it's just terrible. Like there's, there's, there's the risk of, uh, of losing face of insulting the person, whatever. So you always, if, you, if you're trying to do matchmaking or whatever, you want to connect somebody with someone that is a desirable partner that is going to be seen as, as you know, really cool, really, you know, a high status person, an interesting person, someone that, frankly, your friend would be flattered to be associated with. And so if you want to be the person that is ready to mind, trying to sculpt yourself into that person, both both for your own sake, because it means that you're reaching more people, you're having a greater impact, you're doing more of what you want to be doing in the world. That's amazing. And also, there's the subsidiary benefit that it makes you more visible to other people so that they're more likely to think about you and think about you in a favorable way, such that they say, oh, you know, I should get to know that person, or I should make it so that my friend gets to know that person. My, what you said is one of my favorite things that I've heard in a while when you said, be the one that's thought of. And what, when we like someone, do we want more than in her mind to be the one that's thought of? 
Yes. That's awesome. So then we talk about, you talked about sculpting yourself into that person. What are some steps that you would take? So when it comes to um, make, making yourself uh, marketable, I guess either uh, either personally or professionally, I think a lot of it goes back to the the inherent values that we have. You know, it's uh, I think probably the 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 best thing that we can do. You know, sometimes if you don't have a partner and you are wanting to meet someone, it can feel a little bit like you're just sort of biding your time. And the, the question is, well, how, you know, how do you use your time in a way that makes it not feel like you're just sitting there twiddling your thumbs? Like, okay, when's love going to come find me? Like, how do you do something meaningful and productive with your life that makes your life exciting on its own and also will simultaneously hasten the arrival of the, the person that you want to meet. And so I think a lot of it is, uh, is just asking like, like, who do you want to be in the world? What do you want to call into the world? What would be desirable for you? So, I mean, I think about, um, you know, I mean, it's, it's sort of a, a stereotype of like, oh, you, you know, you break up with somebody and then you immediately like start going to the gym or something like that. But I think that there's that there's validity to that in the sense that it is a little bit of a of a reckoning. It's a time when, OK, frankly, dating someone takes quite a bit of time. And if you have more time on your hands, how are you going to use that productively? There's a lot of ways that you can choose to do it. It could be going to the gym. That's one productive path. It could be. Uh, re, you know, reading the books that you never got around to reading. It could be reinvigorating some kind of practice in your life, whether it's like a meditation practice or a spiritual practice. It could be getting back into a hobby that you've neglected. It could be um, reconnecting with friends that maybe you have had a little less time for. All of those are really valuable things that are both gratifying to you and frankly, make you more attractive to other people because people want to be with someone that looks like they have their act together across a, a variety of, uh, of different uh, disciplines. Totally. Using your time productively. I think twiddling our thumbs is a bad dating strategy. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, you're less likely to run into somebody on the subway. Yeah. Or know that she's even queer in the first place. If you do run into her. Yeah, Absolutely. And I do think that queer women spend a little bit, it's not that we have fewer relationships, but we might date less in between because there are fewer of us. I think queer women have the benefit of the minute we find someone we like, we're sort of already in a relationship for a lot of us. Um, whereas gay men maybe get into less relationships, but have more dating and then straight people, they're just sort of the average. So I think on average, we maybe have more free time in the in-between and then, yeah, when we finally meet someone that does take up a lot of time. So now as a great moment for anyone who's single and lonely to be in you know doing the hobbies that we love to be getting to the gym to be reconnecting with the friends that we might end up neglecting when we fall in love again those are all great pieces of advice and you talked about getting to the gym after a breakup sort of the revenge body um, but since we're already sort of on the theme of breaking up another thing that you teach a lot about is self-reinvention and when we're breaking up, there that is a very important moment to use self-reinvention strategies because a lot of time we come from a hurt and broken place and need a little reinvigoration in our life. So what are some self-reinvention strategies you could talk about? 
Yeah, well, I think reinvention can be very satisfying uh, in the in the sense that you know I I had um, you know I mean I've dated lots of different people in the interim, but I had a kind of serious relationship that uh, where I was living with somebody that ended now about six years ago, and when I you know I don't spend a lot of time on this, but when I when I think periodically about like if I ran into this, this woman, it was a little acrimonious, unfortunately. So we're not really in touch. And if she ran into me now and sort of heard about what I was doing, I should, should basically be like, what the fuck? <laughs> because, you know, I was not like remotely into musical theater, like at all. And now I'm in a program writing it. I'm investing in Broadway. Like, you know, I'm, I'm sort of doing all these things that I think would be, frankly, she would think it was weird that I had did it, that I had done that. And I think it's great because, you know, what we what we don't want to do is ossify in a certain place. You know, I mean, if we're exactly the same person that we were when we were, you know, 25 or 30 or 40 or, you know, whatever, that's um, that's not that's not great. I think I think that if we can continue to reinvent ourselves in ways such that people who haven't talked to us in a while are actually surprised at the cool things that we're doing. That is, uh, that's powerful because it shows that, uh, that we're not just staying on a predictable path, but we are making choices and embracing opportunities that, uh, that, that lead in a different direction. I mean, it's a little, it's a little depressing to look at your life, you know, if you're 40 or whatever and be like, oh, I totally know what my life is going to be like when I'm 80. You know, it's like, it's like, oh, well, what's, what's the point of living it out then? Right. So to, to be able to, to seek out ways to reinvent yourself um, can be pretty cool. And I think, honestly, you know, it might sound like, well, how do I do that? But a lot of it is just leaving yourself open to serendipity. And uh, so, I mean, it's, it's sort of two, two pieces, right? It is first uh, constantly being willing to provide yourself with new inputs. And then secondly, being open to the opportunities that those inputs create. So I'll give you an example. So my... Uh, so uh, over a decade ago now, I decided very consciously, there was an, there was an event that I wanted to go to called Renaissance weekend, which is an ideas conference. Um, it is not to be confused with Renaissance fairs, which are different, <laughs> and, uh, but anyway, it's this, you know, kind of cool ideas festival. And I decided I wanted to go to it and it was an invitation only conference. I did not know anyone who went to it. So I'm like, well, fuck, what do I do? So I just wrote them a letter and I was like, Hey, I would really like to come to your conference. Here's, here's about, here's all the things about me. Here's why I think it would be good for your conference. Can I please come? And so I, uh, I actually was to, to my happiness and surprise, they wrote back and said, sure, you can come to our conference. So I immediately, um, went and I, this was, this is kind of a bold move, but I'm like, you know what? I feel so great about being able to get into this conference. I know that this conference is going to have the kind of people that I want to meet. Like I want to up level the people that I meet. I'm going to go all in. And so I read, I literally had not gone to one. I registered for four of them simultaneously all at once, wrote a check, sent it off. It was a shit ton of money at the time for me. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And so I went to four of these conferences, like right in a row. So I could, you know, get to meet everyone, you become part of the community. And I mean, first of all, it takes a while, right? You don't see immediate impacts, but over the last decade, I have made some of my best friends 
through this conference and through involvement in that community. But one of the people, now this, this guy is not one of my best friends. He's a nice guy that I know. He's an acquaintance. But I met this guy named Andrew, like probably, I don't know, five years ago, maybe more, right? We, we're not in touch all the time. We email a couple times a year, very casual, but you know, part like, like an acquaintance. So anyway, um, you will appreciate this story, Jordana. Uh, so Andrew emails me like three, three years ago and he said, Oh, Hey Dory, I'm coming to New York because I've invested in an off Broadway show and I'm going to gather a group of people together, uh, to go see it. Would you like to come? And, you know, I was like, sure, Andrew, you know, like, you're like, yeah, I'll support my friend. Like, you know, it's a chance to see him. I'll go see a show. That sounds good. So we go to the show. Great. Apparently, I must have said something to him about it that, I mean, it was just sort of generally enthusiastic. I was like, good job, Andrew. Oh, how'd you start investing? Oh, that's neat. You know, like, that's literally it. But anyway, like two years after that, he reached out to me again. He's like, oh, Dory, uh, you were interested in, in investing, right? And I'm like, well, um, I guess. Like, you know, it was not a thing that I thought about. But he said, oh, I've just invested in this other show that's going to go to Broadway. And would you be interested in taking a look at it? And it turns out this was Jagged Little Pill, which your homegirl, Eva Price, is behind. And, uh, and so Andrew was one of the investors in that. I did not end up investing in that because I literally had like never considered the proposition of investing in Broadway before, but it got me thinking about it and starting to research the process. And, uh, and so as a result, over the coming number of months, I learned more and more about it, had more and more conversations, eventually decided, yeah, actually, this is a good idea. And so in the past year, uh, my business partner, who I met at Renaissance Weekend, a different person, uh, and I have invested in two Broadway shows. Um, so it, it all came you know, literally, I would not be doing this if it hadn't been for Andrew's suggestion of, you know, so this random person that I met, but then be, being open to what the possibility presented. And for what the conversations were that you had and the new ideas that he brought to you and really exploring it, even if you were close to it at first, and even if it wasn't something that you that you knew you were pursuing, just allowing it to percolate and see what, what emerges. That's great. Open to serendipity. It's a great, it's a great story. Go Eva. Yeah, yeah, she's doing she's doing some great stuff. Okay, so great. So for self reinvention, number one tip: being open to serendipity, to new inputs, and to new opportunities. What are some other awesome strategies for self reinvention? Yeah, well, one one thing that's important to know when it comes to self reinvention, which is a little bit of a caveat, but I think is is a worthy caveat, is that interestingly enough, there is the assumption. You know, and, and you can understand why people would kind of assume this, that the people closest to you are going to be your biggest cheerleaders in your reinvention process. But something that it is important to be aware of is that oftentimes uh, the opposite is true. <laughs> All right. I'm, I'm, I'm seeing your hand gestures. You, 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 you endorse this concept. <laughs> yes, I was nodding and, and snapping in response to this. Yes. Yeah. So, so what's, what's been your experience? It sounds like you've, uh, you've had some of this. Oh, you mean when I told my family I was going to stop being a lawyer and instead be a lesbian love coach, what could possibly go wrong? (laughs) 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 What could possibly go wrong when you tell that to your father? No, that's, it's exactly right. And I, I think, you know, most often this is not coming from a place of malice, right? It's people 
the problem is that people have it in their head that they want to protect you somehow. So, that, oh, well, you know, let me just be a devil's advocate about this. And, you know, they'll tell you like the 50 reasons why this is not a good idea. And, you know, it's like on one hand, yes, that can be helpful. But on the other hand, for most responsible people, you've probably already thought of all these things. And so you don't need to hear them like 50 bajillion times. And uh, and so it's it's just important to so that you are not stunned uh, when you realize, OK, there may be some resistance from the people around me. Resistance in the guise of, oh, I'm trying to help you. I'm trying to protect you. I'm you know looking out for you. And, you know, the good news is that over time you can win over almost everybody, but it's a, it's a process of time and patience showing them that you are actually serious about what you're doing, that it's not a passing fancy and that, you know, you, you actually do have the ability to turn it into something viable, but, um, but you may not initially be greeted with open arms, depending on what your reinvention is. I just can't help but hear every single thing you just said under this subject and hear it as if you were talking to people about coming out of the closet. <laughs> right? It's like they yes. just want to protect us, you know. Um, but then, of course, over time, we do win them over if they're good people. And if we have to show them we're serious. I think my mom's biggest problem when I came out was that she didn't really believe me that I yes. was serious. And now it's been like, what is it, you know, 20 years and I'm still sleeping with women. She's like, all right, I guess that'd be hard to pull off if you weren't actually serious about it. It's quite an adolescent rebellion, dear. Yes. <laughs> so right. Like, like my, um, like my phase of going vegetarian, which is now going on like, you know, three decades. Um, oh yeah. I'll give you five for that. I, uh, I, uh, I, I became a vegetarian when I was 13. So I've been, uh, Oh, nice. You're longer than yeah. me. Me, it was 16. So maybe it's not three decades, but it's been a long time, but they still saw it as a phase until like maybe, you know, two months ago. <laughs> and I think it's interesting that you, the, what you talked about is we've already thought of those things in our head because in a lot of times, you know, we do have those fears and we are our worst enemies. And when we already have those voices of doubt inside of our own minds, it makes it so much harder when the people closest to us are, are saying the things that are in our deepest fears. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it can become a kind of echo chamber in some ways. Yeah. So it is important to know, to expect it to happen as we're reinventing ourselves, as we're stepping into new possibilities, as we're being open to new ideas and allowing those new ideas to carry us to new places, to know in advance that the people closest to us won't necessarily be our biggest cheerleaders. In fact, they're going to be louder than the voices of doubt in our own heads oftentimes. Yeah. I mean, it, it is ironic, right? That you, you, you know, you can tell your parents, Hey, I'm going to be a lesbian love coach. And they're like, Oh my God, what are you thinking? And meanwhile, you go and you meet a stranger and you say, Hey, I'm a lesbian love coach. And they're like, Oh, cool. Totally. Totally. You know, it's like, it's like this, this stranger is like, Oh, great. Yeah. Cool. Tell me all about it. Yeah. I don't think my parents have listened to any of my podcasts, not ever, not once. Or anyone in my, or I'm not even sure if they've seen any of my YouTube videos, you know, so. That's good. I'll, I'll, you can you can be gossiping all the time about them. <laughs> oh, yeah, totally. No, I'm not upset that they haven't. I, in fact, now that I'm saying I never expected them to see them in the first place, but, um, but, but there are plenty of, you know, however many thousands upon thousands of strangers who have. So it's totally a really good point. The people closest to us are not going to be the biggest support. 
Also, I guess they're probably not in your target demographic. <laughs> no, they're not my target audience. You make a really good point. I could talk to my parents about so many other things, and they'd rather see the videos I have of my nephews than they would of me giving dating advice, that's for sure. Um, so I, I want to be respectful of your time, but I have one last question because you talked earlier about you use the word status and, um, you know, we can't help it deep inside. We're 99% chimpanzee. You know, we share 99% of our genes or something like that with, um, with primates or with, with the primates that we're closest related to. And if you just even look at any female chimps, the, the thing that the females are the most attracted to is status is the high they are more attracted to other apes with higher status and you are someone that's taught a lot about leadership so i think it's a great way to sort of close out talking about you know increasing our status standing up as leaders leadership is hot women are attracted to a, a woman seeing somebody just in a group versus that person then becomes the president of the group and the way that attraction would increase just from that person taking a leadership role. So I'd really love to hear you jam a little bit about leadership and your thoughts on it and some tips for stepping up as leaders in the world. Yeah, absolutely. So so specifically aimed at a listener that wants to be more of a leader and how they can do that? Yeah, no matter what job they may be in, just ways to stand up and be to take more leadership roles in life. Definitely. Excellent. One of the things that my research has really hammered home, and this applies very much in both the professional realm as well as the personal realm, is the importance of taking on leadership roles as a way of standing out. And the interesting and ironic thing is that it often is easier than most people might imagine. Um, There's a, a couple of principles at play. So first of all, there is often the thought that you will get farther in terms of your networking or connections or, or what have you if you are let's say a member of five groups and you, you then oh you can meet all kinds of people you can go to these different events uh and you know it's, it's good in terms of meeting people in in terms of, of just sheer numbers but it, it's often less impactful because if you pick the right group a group that is filled with your ideal target audience, whether that is potential clients or potential dates, uh, it's a lot better to invest in becoming a leader of that group because you're not just a random person that they meet for two seconds. You are somebody that they're constantly being exposed to. You know, you're up on the, the dais introducing people. You're, you have an excuse frankly, if you're a leader, to talk to basically anyone in the organization because, hey, you want to know, are you happy with your membership? What could we be doing differently? You know, it has these sort of built-in excuses. And you gain extra status in their eyes because you are seen as being someone who is chosen by your peers to be a leader. Um, So there's a lot of reputational benefits to it. And uh, another interesting and overlooked element is that oftentimes leadership roles are easier to come by than people might imagine. Now, you know, obviously it takes a while and a lot of uh, a lot of work and politicking to become like, let's say, the CEO of a company. But let's take something relatively simple that almost anyone can do. If you decide to become involved in, let's say, your alumni association in your community, that's something that is a volunteer activity. And therefore, because it is a volunteer activity, most people don't have a lot of time for it. And so if you raise your hand, you know, literally the first meeting, if you raise your hand and say, oh, hey, I'd like to be more involved, you can often find 
a position, whether it's the chair of such and such committee or, you know, one of the less sexy positions. Oh, I'll be the membership chair. I'll be the secretary. You know, the thing where everybody's like, oh, God, that's so much work. When you do that thing and you get on the board, already you're in a leadership position and you're you're in from basically day one and you were in a prime position the following year to be the president of the group because you've already put in time and established yourself that way. People often think it's like this hard thing to be a leader, uh, but it's it's often surprisingly easy because many people don't want to take on the extra responsibility or the extra burden of doing so. Um, but there's there's serious reputational and networking benefits. Yeah. And you're right. It's so much easier than you'd imagine if we're talking about uh, volunteer activities and then stepping up and raising your hand and understanding that investing concentrated time in one volunteer activity where you can really be a leader of that organization can end up having so many more benefits in terms of having more exposure to more people, an excuse to talk to more people. Uh, there's extra status that comes with it. You get to have more impact and more people know who you are than if you're just a member of many different groups where, yeah, you might meet people, but they might be less likely to remember you or less likely to really get to know you on any level. So that's really good advice. Yeah, thanks. Wow. This has been such an awesome information, idea-filled interview. I knew it was going to be a good idea to ask to talk to you in this way, but uh, as usual, Dory Clark su surpassing all expectations. You're surpassing. You're surpassing all of mine. This was fantastic. I loved chatting with you, Jordana. This is so much fun. Thanks for thanks for taking the time and for having me. Awesome, Dory. I look forward to hanging out again soon. Thanks, ladies. Before I officially end this interview, I have an important announcement. Right now, as I record this podcast, Dory Clark is still single. So if you're single and you're a badass like she is and you think you might be the woman she's been searching for, please shoot me an email at jordana at womenwantingwomen.com and tell me about yourself and why you think the two of you need to meet so I can connect you. Because, as you know, matchmaking is my jam. And for everyone else, now I would love to hear from you. Dory shared a ton of wisdom during the interview, but I'm curious, what of the many things we spoke about was the most impactful for you? Head on over to the blog at womenwantingwomen.com and let us know. And if you're interested in finally finding the woman of your dreams, so you could be best friends who learn and grow together and share dreams together and have adventures together and share passionate intimacy together, then there are tons of free resources that can help you on womenwantingwomen.com, including a guide to quickly and easily eliminating rejection from your life, a quiz to find out what qualities the woman of your dreams will find most attractive about you when you meet her, a guide to the three biggest mistakes most women make when coming out and how to avoid them, and a free matchmaking survey you can fill out in case I already know the woman of your dreams. All of this is free on my website at womenwantingwomen.com. And when you claim your free access to any of these things, you automatically become a Jordana Michelle Insider, which will give you instant access to an email training series I created to help you get on your game to finding your soulmate faster and easier, and to help you grow the deepest possible love together once you finally do meet. Plus, you'll get exclusive content and special giveaways and some personal updates from me that I just don't share anywhere else. So go to womenwantingwomen.com and check it out for yourself and share it with any other LGBT women that you think can benefit from what I'm offering there. Until next time, keep remembering, 
that hot lesbians are everywhere, that love is real, and that the woman of your dreams is on her way into your life in perfect timing. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Women Wanting Women.